Hi, and welcome to Decoding AQ, helping you to learn the tools, mindsets, and actions to thrive in an ever-changing world. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Decoding AQ. With me today, I have Alex Pascal. He is the founder, CEO at coaching.com. In fact, he's an entrepreneur, an executive coach, and welcome, sir. Hi, Ross. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to our conversation for a while now, and I'd like to start actually by the fact that many coaches, you know, they're really passionate about putting ideas into action. So when did you first have the idea for coaching.com or, you know, Coach Logics as it, as it was to have this kind of integrated platform for coaches to manage their business in one place? Tell me what sparked it and where did that idea come from? Yeah, absolutely. So Texas about 10 years ago. So it really started in February of 2012. So I didn't really celebrate 10 years this year because, you know, the beginning is kind of messy, right? It's an idea. You start working on it, but things start kind of shaping themselves in interesting ways. So it wasn't really until like 2014 where I felt like, well, I'm working on actually something that is something, right? So Coach Logics, as you accurately uh, mentioned uh, was really the genesis of what coaching.com is today. So um, I was in grad school, um, 2009. Uh, I started working at the Center for Creative Leadership, CCL, that a lot of people know in our space. And I was uh, in grad school for a PhD in organizational psychology. So um, I had just started the program 2008. I got my internship 2009. So I started to get acquainted with the whole landscape of organizational psychology. And what was really appealing to me was the one-on-one -on -one work that can have a systemic cascading impact in an organization, right? Um, I think organizational level work, like organizational culture work, organizational development in general is, is really, really interesting. But for some reason, just the idea that a conversation can spark transformation at large in a system or that a series of conversations that are in-depth, that are really what we know as coaching can have such an impact that became uh, an area of interest for me. And I think just growing up, I, you know, I was more, more of an entrepreneur than I would say I would never see myself as being like a therapist. Right. So, but I was very in tune with like people and I was, my friends would come to me and we would talk about what's going on in their lives. You know, it's something I enjoyed. Um, but I never saw myself as a psychologist. And when I finished uh, undergrad, where I did like business and finance and real estate and all that stuff, you know, it was the financial, uh, the great recession, so financial crisis in 2008. Um, and I started really thinking about what I wanted to do and jobs in finance were not, not really very available those days. So started reading and philosophy led to psychology. And I was like, I really like psychology, but I don't see myself as a therapist. So my mom actually told me you should check out organizational psychology. And I did. And I was in love. We were, I was living in San Diego and I found this really great program in San Diego. So started getting acquainted with that whole sphere. And at CCL, we were managing multi-year, multi-million dollar coaching programs. And I was learning all these things about coaching and organizational development at school. And I was applying it at CCL. But I looked at the broader coaching industry and I thought, well, there has to be a platform. It was that point in time where like the SAPs of the world were acquiring companies like SuccessFactor. So the whole in-premise to the cloud was kind of very, very lively um, in the HR space. So I was looking at HR software and 
you know, it was, there was not super, there was not a lot of innovation going on. It was just a transition from in-premise to cloud solutions, but it made me start thinking about platforms and the role of platforms. And I read a book by Mark Benioff on Salesforce and that, that transition to the cloud. So the whole idea of transitions and evolution in technology really started to seep through. Uh, for me. And so I was looking at those multi-year, multi-million dollar coaching programs. And then a client would call us and say, hey, where's this coach engagement? And I would say, uh, or you would have to go and talk to the coach, right? And they, sometimes the coach would overshare. Sometimes they would undershare. I, I thought there has to be a better way, right? And it wasn't CCL. I looked at the industry and there were no technology solutions for coaching. And that was before coaching was the household name, right? Fast forward 10 years and Everyone knows what coaching is. Everyone knows why you should be working with a coach, but it wasn't the case back then. So if I was talking to investors, they'd be like, it seems like you really understand the industry, but why would anyone get a coach? And the conversation shifted. Um, so I had the, the vision that there should be one operating platform for the coaching industry because there were some software out there for coaches, but it didn't really create value for the enterprise or coaching companies. There were software platforms for enterprises, not too many, but those really didn't weren't coach focused, right? So it was really more like a glorified spreadsheet. And primarily, I saw some of the coaching vendors have some solutions that weren't very advanced, and they were actually selling those to some clients um, because there was a need for that type of software. The problem with that is the inherent problem of neutrality: that if you're selling coaching, you cannot be the software solution or the platform because the enterprise will not ask some of the other vendors to get on their competitor's platform. So we always understood the neutrality component very, very well, right? So, and that, that's carried forward to what coaching.com is today. Um, even in the current landscape, you know, we've never pivoted, right? Like my vision from 10 years ago was build a coaching management software that works for everyone in the, in the space, for the coaches, the coaching companies and the enterprises. And, um, and then on top of that, then you can build a marketplace for services, for content, you know, an education platform for coaches to become better, um, a services marketplace so that enterprises and smaller medium-sized businesses can connect with coaching companies and independent coaches. So really rebuild the spreadsheet world that coaching was into these dynamic platform uh, ecosystem. And that's really what I've been working on for the last 10 years. It, it's an interesting breed, isn't it? And like many practitioners, the, the difference between practicing your ability to running a business with yeah. that is something different and then managing it whilst you've got this sort of blend of CRM needs, scheduling needs and a thirst for learning because coaches are, you know, super keen lifelong learners and all of that mix whilst you said, if you have a big enough vision, all you're doing is adaption and expansion rather than necessarily a, as you said, pivot that, that we might have if you're really after the needs of those individuals, the solutions and ecosystem evolves to what's going on in the industry or what technology would enable or allow at any given point. That's a great Same. point because it was very foundational, right? Because yeah. there was no coaching technology back then, right? So I think the lack of pivot comes from there's more pivots when you're working in a more established kind of ecosystem, or actually I could see the case for more pivots when you're trying to create something and then you pivot it. But the coaching industry was, 
operating in a very standard way across the globe, right? You have independent coaches working with coaching companies, servicing enterprises. Enterprises have spreadsheets for internal coaches and some sort of platform for external, but maybe they have five platforms for five different vendors. So everywhere you looked, it was the same. So that pre- provided a really good roadmap for yeah. what the platform for this space should look like, right? So that I think there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with pivots, but obviously it's better if you don't have to, right? And I think I was lucky enough that the industry was in a place where if you read between the lines and you could see what was needed that was essentially just a software platform solution for the existing way coaching work, then you could kind of create something for that. And yeah. that was the case. I think it was maybe standardized, but fragmented. And yeah. that challenge to actually converge a lot of those things into a simple solution with what technology was happening. So the waves of these things were ideal. You know, we had this big surge of management being what's going to excel performance and outcome to now seeing the multiplier effect of coaching. As you said, 10 years ago, it was, oh, that's for other industries. That's for things like sports. Yeah. Um, and then we've seen this huge thing that started off with what we would see in the main media through books or big celebrities, you know, be it the Ken Blanchett's, the Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. the, these that blended just people versus then their careers versus then in work performance and then mm-hmm. organizations investing in the development of their potential through coaching rather than just let's lob them into an LMS and hope that we get performance at the other end <laughs> with some learning is it's a bit more, uh, as you said, the power of a conversation, the power of those sorts of things that all things start in the mind before they manifest. So you're, you're grounding your sort of almost decade in the CCL and where you were as an executive coach, you actually lived and breathed that by working with companies and executives for many years in some lots of household names, right? From Samsung to Mercedes-Benz to... Uh, client actually we share the Federal Reserve Bank you know so all sorts of industries where you weren't just hey I'm a tech entrepreneur I've seen this I'm going to build something you actually have an affinity to your audience having gone through what the opportunities are what's exciting what challenging is from that in terms of then your blend I wanted to touch on because it's so in our space at CCL you were involved in some of the assessment side What's your view of how assessments get in the way of coaching, help coaching, maybe um, as a holistic kind of view? Where do you see that in the coaching journey, the use of people data and analytics and assessments and things? Yeah, I I personally really like assessments as part of coaching. Um, I think they're very valuable and they're valuable as long as you use them as a way, it's, it's, a, it's an orienting generalization, right? You, you should not be defining your client based on the results of the assessment. They should not be defining themselves based on that. But most often than not, when you use the very well-crafted and validated and reliable assessment, you get some insights that provide a canvas for a conversation. So as long as you use assessments in that way, I think that assessments are very powerful. And there's a, a great degree of validation and statistical power behind those. Um, so I think it's, it's nice to use that. I think there's two different types of coaches, right? So there's coaches that are, most coaches are people-oriented, but within the scope of being people-oriented, some people are more analytical, kind of like the accounting type coach, right? 
So coaches that are super analytical, they use the coaching skill set in a way that is kind of more left brain oriented, right? And that's the beautiful thing about coaching and humans, right? Um, so for some people, that's the right coach, right? And that approach is going to work. Some other coaches are a little bit more kind of right brain oriented and, you know, they wouldn't necessarily lead to like, oh, let's use an assessment to look at this typology for which I can absorb who this person is. You know, they're more like, I want to sit with you and I want to get to know you. And that's how I'll know how I can help you. I think the best approach is a combination of both, right? Like you can use assessment and you should use assessment when it makes sense, right? And it's part of being an experienced practitioner is to understand and diagnose the situation. Like you were saying, standardization is like a very powerful tool and it's a very powerful way of looking at the world and, and structuring things because it creates disorder and sequencing. But what makes you, what elevates you to be a more advanced practitioner is to understand structure, but to know when to play around with it. And I think that as you become more of an experienced coach in this case, being able to have a structure and a standard way of operating, but the standard way of operating includes deviations based on the client. That's where you're becoming more of a masterful yeah. practitioner, you know? So when I was at CCL, um, I, I first was an intern doing a couple of different random projects. Then I was the coaching project manager. So I was looking at, you know, a lot of like project management back office kind of work on coaching, which was helped me kind of provide these vision for what was needed. And then I was uh, in the marketing strategy department working on the coaching and assessments side in the portfolio. So kind of helping with product launches. So I was involving the development of a 360 assessment that actually I used for my dissertation uh, that was looking at the use of managerial coaching behaviors by managers as measured by themselves and, you know, 360. So their peers, their direct reports, their boss, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I have an affinity for assessment, but honestly, I think in that spectrum of like left brain, right brain, I'm more, I like, I like to be in the moment. I like to just absorb who someone is, but I find it that because that's my preference, the use of assessment anchors me in some more kind of like analytical, rationally oriented approach to absorb that person. And then I can go into that intuitive side. So that combination of the intuitive and the rational, I think works well for me. And I think it's good to not never kind of you people use assessments sometimes as crutches, right? Because it's just you get all these output and then it's easy just to spend a year long coaching relationship just kind of going over the results of that assessment and parsing it out. Uh, but sometimes you lose kind of like that connection to someone. So for me, it's all about balance when it comes to yeah. assessment work. I think ultimately, you know, this view of understanding the context and the version of the, ourselves that we're trying to become, that we mm -hmm. may see or not see, and then getting a roadmap towards that. So the, the true value of, as you said, with boundaries, you get freedom. So then yeah. being able to empower, what are the right questions here? How do I elicit out what someone's trying to achieve or what limiting beliefs might exist or what obstacles are there? And to give people this balance of hope and challenge and, you know, being scared and vulnerable and being, you know, compelled by a purpose or why, you know, we're beautiful, complex beings, but at the same time, quite simple. You know, we want to be loved, we want to be able to contribute, we right. want to be valued and connected. And so that journey lends itself to this one-to-one -one coaching. You know, we feel incredibly valuable from that. One of the challenges I've seen 
is then the scalability of that for organizations mm -hmm. uh, from the time or from the cost. And we go from a beautiful one-to-one -to, -one to then, oh, we scale it by standardizing and we create content that's then are standard in that piece. And then we hope that it's implemented in bespoke ways or different ways. What's your kind of vision of how we can essentially unlock that power of coaching for every individual, whether they're a high exec or they're an intern? What do you see as being the uh, enablers of that in your view? So the interesting thing about scaling coaching is that it really is about scaling the unscalable. So, you know, we're trying to scale something that by nature and definition is not super scalable, which is what makes it valuable. Um, I think the last five, six years, we've seen an emergence of digital coaching platforms that have changed the landscape of how we think about coaching and how we can provide coaching to more people. There are, they're evolving products, they're evolving services and solutions uh, that I'm sure over the next five, 10 years will morph and evolve a little bit. But essentially the idea of layering a little bit of technology and also changing the format and the way you sell coaching through, let's say a subscription and an access to coaching, uh, as opposed to, you know, these 10, 20, $30,000 coaching engagements, you know, that those were not scalable. So we're saying, okay, so how do you get a lot of people to sit and have these great conversations with coaches that are prepared that I've prepared for a long time and they've gone through, you know, ICF credential courses and spent all the time talking to people. How do you put these people in a, in a place where they can actually do a lot more of that work at a rate that's going to make sense to them and is going to make sense for the client? So I think that's one of the things that we're solving with like the digital coaching approaches. And I don't think they're perfect yet, but I think there's definitely a pathway for success, especially when you think about new coaches coming into the space, working with people lower levels in the organization where the coaches are getting experience for lower rates and but you know if coaching if you go through a coach training program that's good even at that level you'll know kind of how to ask good questions and how to help people kind of start kind of that dialogue with someone else and themselves right so the basic coaching skill sets while it's not easy to ask questions there's a formula that you can follow as you start to evolve as a coach so i think that's matching like the early stage coach with someone that's lower level in an organization um even saying lower level these days is like not, you know, it's like it's hard to frame, but you know, organizations are hierarchical and you're not going to spend $50,000 coaching someone that's making $50,000 a year, right? So we're trying to solve the problem of access across the spectrum. So that's one thing. So that's been happening with the digital coaching landscape and it promises to bring more of the coaching approach to organizations, but that needs to happen in an ecosystem where coaching is in is seen as a, an, an overarching approach, like the idea of these coaching culture, right? So management and leadership, I mean, leadership is just so interesting because it's so hard to define what leadership is, right? You have leadership books that are a thousand pages and it's a thousand pages about something that it's very hard to define, you know? And if you leave any really good leadership book, you'll see that the definition of leadership itself is very situational. It's dependent on a lot of different variables. So you cannot say this type of leadership works perfectly for this kind of situation because the emergent nature of the world means that, you know, there's different approaches that could work in different situations. And 
the <laughs> leadership really is about being present, being in the moment and, and making decisions, whether it's the right decision or the wrong decision. If you take the wrong decision, then you'll have to adapt and evolve. If you make the right decision, then you'll have to make sure that that right decision doesn't cascade into a situation where that same way of operating is not going to work anymore. So it's just the emergent nature of leadership is hard to define. So when we think about coaching, coaching is very... It's, very, it's a very powerful way to think about how we manage in organizations because it's really about being present. It's about understanding. It's about asking questions. And it's about knowing when to be directive too. And it, it's actually a conversation that people have in the coaching sphere at large is like, should coaches give advice? And my answer to that is like, well, not every coach should give advice, you know? So I'm very comfortable with some coaches that I know giving advice. And I'm not as comfortable with other coaches giving advice, like anything in life, right? Like... So, but as a methodology, I think it's fine. I think clients expect to get some guidance as part of the discovery process, but I think it's good that a lot of coaches are cautious around when, like, like MBS, uh, Michael Bungay's tenure uh, says, you know, the advice trap, you know, it is really a trap because it is easier to tell people what to do than helping them get to the point where they know how to help themselves. So as coaches, I think we have to go through the hard path, the harder pathway of, even if we want to provide advice to someone, framing it in a way that promotes self-discovery is important. So when you elevate that to the cultural landscape of an organization, just buying digital coaching solutions and then buying high, higher and kind of coaching across the spectrum is not necessarily going to create a coaching culture, right? So I think what we need in organizations is to really be strategic around why is coaching important? How do we enable it at large? And what part of that is the services we need to bring for our employees? And what part of that is an understanding internally around why coaching is valuable and how do we instill it in the way we think about the way we operate? And I think we're at an inflection point where companies are becoming more interested in that. And part of it is the, the complexity in the world, like the pandemic really kind of shifted a lot of models, a lot of ways of looking at established things of doing things and being nimble and resilient and adaptable. And that coaching approach, because it's always asking questions of the environment and understanding what's getting back, provides a good foundation versus that command and control approach to leadership. And at the end of the day, I think it's a combination of both, but coaching is becoming very, very powerful in organizational circles because of that adaptability that it can generate. It's an interesting one, isn't it, where coaching in itself, you said about leadership, hard to define. Coaching in its own situation is so complex in many things in terms of, yes, it's part about learning, part about advice, part about asking questions, part about, you know, probing, part about raising an ambition or tempering an ambition or all of these things that we're trying to use these elements of our spidey sense mm -hmm. to help mm -hmm. someone realize their potential or their goals or whatever they're trying to define. And I think the unique thing that you're, you're talking about of this shift from, I need a solution to something. So it's either, oh, it's a person or it's a technology or it's this to, mm -hmm. what is the culture and how do I embed a coaching culture for that for everyone in themselves that I might have in effect a muse to reflect, you know, to reflect about an, a situation, to be in the moment as opposed to learning, which historically education has been about, I learn this and then hopefully when I need it, I can recall it to right. adjust in time of, I've got that issue right now, Alex. Uh, and 
I had a coaching session last month, but no, I need one right now to talk it through. Well, it applies to military um, strategy. I yeah. mean, when you look at like Ukraine and Russia, I mean, part of why Russia is not doing well in their invasion in Ukraine, and I think we're happy for that, but <laughs> not mean to frame it as like, well, they need to work on that. I mean, we all, I think, are shocked at kind of the state of the world and how that's happening but when you think about it from the pure kind of military strategy perspective that command and control approach that the russians had didn't really work very well against the ukrainians they were more nimble and it was like these are general instructions and then they had this trust in their soldiers that they would be nimble and operate in the battlefield more adaptively and the russians you know like uh, they were more kind of chain of command and that's why so many generals were killed when they were doing uh, on the first couple of weeks of the war because they had to have the generals very close to the action because there was no trust or adaptive trust in the soldiers to make decisions so you have to have the generals making the decisions very close to the battlefield so you know since we're going through these i thought that was a good example of good. you know it, it, it also comes down to trust as well right because if you trust the system then you can let people operate more fluidly yeah, I think it's it's a couple of bits that we've found from our data about the speed of the feedback loop and then the openness to be led by that feedback. Yeah. So our ability to unlearn something. Oh, this is the way we've always done something. So we're going to keep doing it. And the data that's coming back, well, I don't recognize it. It needs to look in this way or this language. You know, we prefer echo chambers where we recognize the voice or we recognize the strategy from before to when it's a bit different. We go, ah. Oh, that's a bit alien. I'm not sure about that. Well, let's just keep going. And we apply things like grit or our resilience to say, ah, yeah, we're going to get through this. We'll cope to actually going, the situation's changed. The environment's changed. You know, if we think about the pandemic, it was, oh, let's just hold on and then we'll return to now. No, we've got to rewrite the playbook for hybrid working. And so we've got to unlearn the various things of this is how we collaborated before. Now we've got this transportation system called Zoom. How do we collaborate now? It's going Absolutely. to be different. And so I think this ability and speed of our unlearning to let go of certain things, to hold on. I remember uh, Seth Godin's book years ago, uh, The Dip, where it was talking about the difference between, you know, a cul-de-sac and a dip. You know, if you stay in there long enough, you will rise <laughs> to actually, no, I'm going to quit and quit being a good thing because you've recognized it's a cul-de-sac. And I think this adaptability intelligence is being able to have that environmental awareness you know what is psychological safety what's the levels of work stress what kind mm -hmm. of experimentation support is happening in, in the environment from a systems base in the company and the culture base together with things like maybe our personality our big five our openness our how much we worry our neuroticism our levels of hope to then maybe our skills and seeing our mindset as a skill, seeing our resilience as a skill, seeing mm -hmm. our learning as a skill that we can shift. And I, what we're seeing is these leaders and organizations that are able to almost give that permission and this mental flexibility to for opposing things to happen at the same time. Yep. You know, I remember, you know, we used to have debates and you could argue both sides, no matter what you believed, that was a skill. I think right. now we're so wrapped up in the data, the intelligence, we need all of these things that we have to believe in something rather than bring some play, bring some experimentation, right. try some of those new things. And it's the hardest to do when we're under the most pressure. So when 
the backs against the wall when we've got you know people leaving we've got churn happening we've got all of these challenges mm-hmm. how can we be playful in those moments and be curious and be learning and so what's your thoughts on on that alex so much to unpack there i mean first of all i think command and control makes sense sometimes right and we see it with the pandemic we wanted our governments to tell us what to do based on science and what we got was this emergent nonsense from different places, right? I mean, we saw a failure of that chain of command. We want to have institutions that we can trust. And I think we're going through a period of time where trust in institutions is at an all-time low. And that layer of command and control is important because to be able to to be able to have these nimble, flexible way of being, there needs to be some structure as we've been talking about, right? And I think the command and control. So when there's trust in a command and control situation, that provides the environment to be more nimble. And I think that's what we are oftentimes don't do, right? It's, it's easier to say, hey, or, or more attractive to say the, the a coaching style of management is better than a command and control. It sounds nice, but for a management style, of, a coaching style of leadership to work, it has to have these, these things to be wrapped in this environment of trust and also authority and hierarchical understanding, right? So, and I think what we do is we throw the baby out with the bathwater sometimes, you know, it's like, yeah, these concepts sounds a lot better, so let's pursue it versus understanding that the hard thing to do, to your point, is to be able to hold, you know, to be able to understand different people's views and to be able to debate them like they're your own. And then you truly understand what you really are. We don't do that when it comes to management theories or styles or looking at what works in society at large. So I, I think balance is something that we don't practice as a society, as societies in general. So I think that's, that's one of the things that came up to me, uh, came up with me was you were, you're saying that. Um, it's but, a paradox, right? Isn't it? You know, the it paradox of being able to be, focused but also open you know to to hold opposing thoughts and believe that they might both return a result and to truly back those things and ultimately then you'll need to have a decision and a decision is to cut off something you know and so that often when we're in this as i say this heightened stress situation we have this amygdala hijacking and our mm-hmm. intelligence is out the window and we make a decision based on a lower intelligent brain <laughs> i mean it's so worthy we're, we're designed for that right yeah yeah we are and then it, it's about being present and understand i mean i think being present is a very important piece that's why i i you know I, meditation is such a powerful tool and i think coaching is very much like meditation if you come out of a very good coaching session you almost feel this state as you would after a yoga class or or you feel after meditation because it's really being present with yourself and not letting you be hijacked by your brain right and when you can give that to someone else and because presence is contagious right if you're if you're talking to someone that has a really great presence you can feel like they're right here with you it kind of brings you here as well and it kind of hijacks you from all the things that are trying to hijack you right so presence is very powerful one of the things that you also mentioned that made me think about just the current state of coaching in the world is that we focus more now on other types of coaching that traditionally would never would have. Like, for example, the idea of providing a first-time mother with a coach 
so that she can be better at being a first time mother and she can also come back to work in a way that is aligned with what she needs to be doing to be successful in her work with ultimately will it will reflect in the company bottom line that kind of following that chain would never happen you know five ten years ago so one of the best things that's happened as coaching has become more prevalent is this idea that there's other types of coaching. And I think that's the future of coaching. So we can talk about the format and the rates and all that. We will sort that out. People want coaching. Coaching is good for organizations. So we'll sort out the details on the model. But ultimately, where we're headed is just to provide more access to more types of coaching, uh, which help us navigate the complexity of our world, right? So we're talking about the pandemic. Well, you know, people are feeling in ways that they're not used to feeling because, you know, we're, I'm working with a green screen behind me all day sitting here as opposed to interacting with people all day and going to lunch. And it's a very different way of operating and coaches can definitely help us become more effective. And coaches are learning to become more effective themselves in this new ecosystem, but there are people that are wired to try to understand and then help others, right? Yeah. And I think it's this balance between maintaining efficacy and efficiency um at scale without it then becoming you know vanilla or ineffective or the balance of then that accessibility being both not just time but then the quality challenge i want to shift a little bit to uh wbex and yeah. your acquisition there through your decade journey in your organization in this creation of an ecosystem to really raise the level and the global standards of coaching and it will show up how it will show up right in all of the flavors all of the pieces but this raising of the quality of the integrity of the outcomes wbex was a key component of that so for those of you who might not know we did have uh, marva on a previous episode who at the time was the ceo there and they had an amazing business model, an amazing piece of bringing together, learning from each other's, right? The best coaches learning from other amazing coaches. And that community was incredible. Tell me about, you know, what attracted you to it, um, the challenges of how you had to maybe adapt your thinking, raise funds, all of the journeys of acquisition. And then what's adapted and changed for the two organizations to become one? Because we've worked with lots of companies in mergers and acquisitions that that whole process of acknowledging the change and shift is an important one. So tell us a little bit about the, the WBEX story, Alex. Absolutely. I've followed WBEX for a long time. I think what Ben Croft did is just really build a world-class ecosystem for coaches to come and learn from each other, right? Uh, and you said, you know, people that are, that care about learning, care about, care about self-development, coming together, learning from each other. So it is very powerful. Their business model really aligned nicely with our neutral approach, right? Because we are not a publisher. We don't have our own models, right? The idea of, of, of Coach Launch that became coaching.com is these neutral software platform uh, the software, it's an operating platform for coaches, coaching companies and enterprises. So we're different than digital coaching firms, for example, or traditional leadership development vendors, as they usually have a model of development they want to use. They have a series of assessments, whether they develop them themselves or they use off the shelf assessments. But they always what what as a buyer you're buying from them is this approach is saying like we 
believe leadership is better when it's done in this way or that way. And as a neutral platform and enabler, we're an integrator, right? So the, the coaching industry is filled with aggregators. So, and there's nothing wrong with being an aggregator. It's just the nature of the model. As in an industry filled with aggregators, there's value in being an integrator. So that's what we are at a core coaching.com before. Yeah. A filter, we- a curator, an integrator. So that a lot of that hard work of, as you said, present, the noise, there's a lot of noise in this. There's industry. a lot of noise. And I think the value of the digital coaching firms and the, the, the incumbents as well and the leadership development, traditional firms like DDI and Ken Blanchard, there's so much value in being an aggregator because you're a filter, but you sometimes need an aggregator of filters, which becomes an integrator, right? So, and that's really what the industry really didn't have. So that's a beautiful part of our model where, you know, you can... Our client, our enterprise clients, can ask other digital coaching firms and other firms to use our, use your technology, but then put the data on coaching.com because that's the neutral integrator where we put all of our coaching data. So, the industry needed that model, right? And we've been working on that. So, when we looked at the WBX ecosystem, well, it was cool that it was almost like a grassroots effort for development where you can have many flavors, right? Um, and you have the, like Marva calls it, Marva is our COO now at coaching.com. Uh, love working with Marva. Marva is awesome. And, you know, she c- talks about like the blockbuster programs that WBS has, the WBX has. So traditionally you've had like a spring launch, a fall launch, and then you have the summit in, be- in between, right? So when we're looking at the WBX model, well, I was always concerned that Ben would start working with another software for coaches or for coaching, right? Because WBEX has such tremendous power in the space because it stands for a really good thing, right? Learning for coaches, there's a lot of free components so that everyone can learn. And then there's paid aspects of it that allow you to take your learning even further, right? So the model, it was very synergistic. So what we, and Ben, I think understood that, you know, the landscape was changing and WBEX, primarily a marketing education platform needed to evolve and, and have more of a technology DNA. And it's hard to transition from, you know, the direct response marketing business into like a full-fledged technology company. It's just, you need different people, you need different mindsets. So when we looked at WBEX, we thought throughout the acquisition process, we're looking at the employees, right? It was amazing to see like, we need to retain everyone because we need these competencies. So it was very exciting. People got excited in, in the what was coaching.com before WBEX. The WBEX employees were very excited to come into the, the things they would say, like, no one likes the name. They call us WeBEX. And now we get to do this under the umbrella of coaching.com. It's like, so it was always very synergistic. The culture felt great. So we, we closed the transaction September 7, 2021. So we're coming on to, you know, soon will be a year. So I think we're what, like nine months into it. And just the feel is great. The, the values are very similar. And from a business model perspective, it really was about, you know, there's this, the largest ecosystem of coaches in the world. Let's get them acquainted with a neutral platform that they can use. We're not very salesy. I, I'm not very salesy, right? I've never been, like, I tried to convey value and to, when I present on coaching.com for the last 10 years, it's usually educational. It's like, this is what we do. This is why we do it. And feel free to explore other options, but you know, this is, you know, why we do what we do. These are the values and that's how we sell. So now we have these marketing machine on top of that, that really is selling good, right? Because it's selling access to a neutral platform where coaches can set their rates and be, and run their businesses. And we work with a lot of large Fortune 500 companies like Salesforce and Medtronic and Ernst & Young and Dropbox. Uh, so we, we have that enterprise mindset, but we also, I'm a coach. I've coached hundreds of people in my life. I love it. I have a PhD 
specialized in coaching. But we're connecting the needs of the independent coach, the coaching vendors in our board of directors. We have Ken Blanchard companies, we have DDI, and we have our enterprise customers. So we really understand the ecosystem of coaching. So bringing and bolting on the largest network of coaches in the world that WBAX had and continuing to do everything that WBAX does really well, the free summit with a, an upsell to the full summit that has a lot of value from learning from the best thought leaders in coaching, but also learning from each other. One of the things that gets you the most excited about the, our ecosystem are those implementation mastery sessions. You know, that's after every session at the summit, for example, we have these sessions that get like they get full, like people love to go and learn from each other. So it's like eight coaches that come together after the session to learn about what they learned, you know, together. Um, it's really about doing that at scale all over the world. And one of the really cool things about the model is now everyone's doing virtual events. But Ben had that vision for doing a virtual every yeah, for a long know, time. 10 years ago or 12 years ago. Yeah. So it's all come together for us. And we're doing a lot of really cool things, new partnerships. We announced a partnership with principals yesterday. Uh, so we'll provide more Congrats. details pretty soon. Thank you. Yeah. But I, I love you know, the assessment that was developed by Adam Grant, Brian Little, and John Golden in conjunction with Ray and Ray's team. It's amazing. All Bridgewater folks working on you know, psychometrics and about people development. It's, it's fascinating. So we're going to be rolling out a lot of really cool new things and just creating this neutral ecosystem where there's a lot of free learning. There's free component of the software. And people can really, uh, coaches can have an operating platform to run their businesses, to learn, continue to grow. And coaching uh, companies and large and small businesses can leverage the ecosystem to basically find their way through how do we create these coaching uh, underpinning in the way we're thinking about the world and our people. So yeah, it's really exciting. Um, it's been a fun year and we have a lot of really cool things coming up as well. It's great to hear and just feel the energy of successful moves. Because in an entrepreneurial <laughs> journey, right, there's, there's plenty of graft, there's plenty of things that you might have done differently. They're all learning. Uh, and mergers in my previous business, I ran a brand and marketing agency for 18 years. And I did a couple of acquisitions and they were expensive learnings, right? And that's quite a common reality. You know, you get all of the various bits where it makes sense. You have all those conversations and a year in is when it really starts to be how good, well have we done this? How well have we adapted the unique abilities here, the unique abilities here to multiply something that neither could have done uh, independently. Mergers are tricky. Most fail, you know? Yeah, so fail. when you're, you're coming we, into something that is costing you millions of dollars, yeah. and the chances for success are on a good day, 50%, right? Yeah, so, but that's why the intangibles and the feel and the culture and all those things need to come together, right? So it did in our case, and look, there's a lot of work. I've had a very difficult 10 years. You know, the first yeah. eight years were just absolute or the first yeah, seven, eight years were just absolute. Like, what are you doing? How are, it, it felt like a cul-de-sac, right? And I had a really good support system. And I remember my dad walked me off the ledge so many times, you know, like I was just like, I... At some point, you have to know when to quit, and it's better than keep going, right? And that's how I felt for years. But there was something about it, and you know, if, resilience is a very important attribute, and yeah. and it's almost like a skill set, right? It is. So yeah. once you get to that, I think you through those things that you you learn and you grow, and that's kind of, you know, the story of when one one more thing that I think is valuable is like you know you, you become an entrepreneur because you have these 
goal. You want to create something and creating that is completely outside of what being an entrepreneur is, right? It's like you, you have this vision for coaching, but to get there, you have to become an entrepreneur. You can't just get there without becoming an entrepreneur, right? So you go through all these motions of the entrepreneurial journey to try to provide a service and a product that is not doesn't have to do anything with entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship is a supporting yeah. drive force that drives it, but it's not about entrepreneurship. It's about no. the solution you're trying to get to. And it's like, your life is two things. The objective that you have of where you want to go and the entrepreneurial journey you have to go through to be able to enable that. And, you know, looking back, it's just a fun thing to do, you know? <laughs> the, the dots connect when you look backwards. You know, we make these hypotheses and predictions moving forwards. And, but then when we look back and we reflect, they often connect. And I think the, the, you know, the interesting challenges of what you've been through of preparing us for tomorrow, but equally being that tomorrow I'm open to what may become. Uh, and Absolutely. that, that, excitement an entrepreneur feels of uh, being on the ledge wherever stage you are and you know we had I certainly did in an upbringing that quitting was a bad thing you know mm -hmm. my parents right. instilled this uh, grit as being no you've got to stick that out right whereas now I think we're evolving our understanding of quitting that it's contextual because wouldn't you want to quit a toxic environment wouldn't you want to quit something that is bad for you or not working quitting smoking good quitting something you've just started as a 12 year old bad you know it's contextual right so the same in our business as we evolve is the act is inert the context gives it then our meaning so to quit is an inert thing. It can be good or bad, depending on its context. So I've got two final quick bits because time just, just flies by. And uh, one of them was this, this journey that you're creating. And I know from our experience, you know, in the last 12 months, we have, you know, hustled to bring in and I've trained and certified about 150 coaches and consultants in our model, right? And these coaches, they're incredible in terms of their thirst and wanting to go and impact some value with their clients and mm -hmm. how they do that and how they scale and do all of these pieces. And what was interesting was whilst there's part technology, there's part learning, there's part training that got them in, what they're staying for is the community and collaborations. And I've really begun to realize the power of that connection where, ah, oh, they're working on something and they meet somebody else who loves this aspect of it. They love the data science, the left brain you were talking about of analytics. The other person loves this part. Work together, they multiply. And I think that's, I'd like to understand in, in yours how that's evolving, where we're becoming this decentralized from big consultancy firms, big coaching firms to loads of independents, you know, 130,000 of them in, in your platform, or as we fragment more and more of these out, how we can then come together around a mission or come together around a bit like in the film industry, you know, yeah. you come together around a project, around a film, and you get everyone from all the walks of life, and then they go off onto other projects. And it's not about the retention of, oh, you have to stay here. It's, no, we're rallying here, and we're rallying here. Mm -hmm. And we see, ah, oh, losing retention, bad, we've got to solve it. What if our model was different? And it was a complete paradigm shift. I just love that exploration. So as the penultimate, because I do have a last question for you, Alex, in a minute, <laughs> is are you finding the same 
in terms of the community's ability to collaborate around not just learning, but the implementation to allow some of that scale uh, and that experience? Or is that an anomaly that we're seeing and somebody who's further down their journey in size and scale? I'm, I'm interested in whether this is a trend that we should you know, go after or whether, oh, it's a false positive. Uh, no, so that's I think, just my selfish piece wanting to know from you, Alex. No, I think you're, I mean, that's what creates a lot of value, right? Like people coming together and traditionally coaching was a very fragmented space. Uh, the opportunity for the aggregators and the digital aggregators really came from the fact that the industry was very fragmented. And there's like, like you said, everything's contextual. So there's good aspects of fragmentation and there's also negative aspects of it that present opportunity. A lot of large buyers want to go with someone that's aggregating all these coaches and community. And in a way you're like washing it a little bit, you're like diluting it, but also making it easier to be consumable. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's that for certain organization and certain levels and access to coaching, that makes a lot of sense and that's the way it should be. But I think for all the talk about diversity, we need diversity in terms of the coaches that are going to be providing services. So you can't just go, you know, hundred thousand person companies shouldn't go with one provider and say, provide coaching to all of our people. That's just lazy. So you need to have a department in the organization that is strategic around coaching. And then you source the vendors that are known for certain things. So in the digital coaching landscape we're not at the place where we were with the incumbent leadership firms where you knew that lhh was great for you know career related coaching right and ccl was great for self-awareness and you know there's all these knowledge that we had around the different firms right and that's we don't know how better up is different than coach hop other than their marketing and like some of the things they say and the assessments they want to use and but you know and 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 it might i think i want us to get to the point in a couple of years where a firm would say i'm choosing coach hub because they're doing these these and that this and, this. and for these other population i want to use better up and for these other population we have 50 independent contractor coaches that we manage on coaching.com you know so yeah. i think i think that's that's diversity in coaching is very important because it's not only about looking at pictures of coaches and saying, oh, they have the right mix of gender and race, Experience, and race sexual orientation. culture. Yeah. It, it is, it is really about thinking strategically about coaching and sourcing. So the frac so at the end of the day, it's, it's really about these little it's about these no, knots in uh, knots in a uh, in the in the big network. Now and those when you talk about the, the not it's really about the coaches coming together saying oh i love working with you let's do these let's work in these projects and that's how it the boutique coaching firms used to do most of the coaching work in the world now you have these larger aggregators this there's always been large aggregators yeah. though but now you have large aggregators with a lot more demand for the coaching services so my vision for coaching is that you will have both. We'll have the large aggregators that add a lot of value and add value to the coaches that also want to work with other coaches in smaller boutique settings and do coaching for themselves. So that's what our model enables, really. It, yeah. it enables that. Self-forming aggregators. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love think... self, um, I mean, uh, complex adaptive system theory mm -hmm. is like one of my favorite things to kind of geek out on. So I think that's kind of what we're trying to enable in yeah. space. And I think that's what's needed to really, truly have diversity of coaching approaches and methodologies. That's the other thing. Methodologies get really standardized by large aggregators. And again, that's the way it should be for a certain subset of coaching. Same. 
but the beautiful part of what we're trying to, uh, the, one of the most beautiful things about what we're trying to accomplish is to provide coaches with access to a lot of different methodologies so that they can make it their own and then go offer that so that people in organizations and small businesses have access to coaches with a variety of approaches and methodologies that are validated, that are, you know, we're, we're, we're curating these methodologies, yeah. make them available to coaches and making it easy to consume so that when you're trying to look for an outcome from a coaching uh, experience, you have a lot more context to make decisions around which coach you should mm -hmm. work with. So yeah, that's ultimately, I think the holy grail to combine the, the large aggregators with the smaller approaches. But to answer your question, you're not, what you're seeing is I think what we're seeing as well, which is coaches want to get to know each other more, want to work together, want to work independently, learning from each other. That's the holy grail, I think, of yeah. coaching learning. Yeah, I love it. So as we come to a wrap up, Alex, I have a question that I ask all the guests at the end, and it's related to adaptability, to learning, to curiosity, to all of these things. And it's when was the last time you did something for the first time? And what was it? Well, I mean, maybe just the recency effect of just our conversation, but I've never acquired a company before, right? So last year we acquired a company. <laughs> so yeah, it just, it puts you on your, on your toes, you know, you're, there's so many variables, there's caring for people, making sure you can, you know, create a sustainable enterprise. And that's the thing about entrepreneurship. There's so many layers, right? There's yeah. marketing, there's finance, there's strategy, there's HR operations, like it's all these things. So yeah, it was, I tend to get into things without thinking too much about like, you know, what I'm going to be doing, right? It's like, oh, let's buy the company. And then you get into months and months and years yeah. long kind of work that perhaps if I knew what I was getting myself into with this entrepreneurial journey 10 years ago, I would have decided to do something else. But, <laughs> you know, sometimes you have to get head in first, you know, head first and just figure it out. So yeah, the last thing I did something new was, we acquired W Bucks and it's been a really fun journey. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, you know, this thin slicing. And whilst you said, you know, oh, I go into it without much thinking, actually, it's different thinking you're doing. So you've applied and you're looking for the big indicators, which might be opportunity or values based or these things. Then all of the due diligence and bits can come later. But that decision was still very strategic and very calculated, but we might just palm it off. Uh, as something you just, you just don't know what you're gonna you don't know no. what the landscape is like and i do that when i do little things in life too like someone invites me to do paintball you know i've never done paintball before i don't go online and start reading about paintball and i every time i go to a restaurant i go online and look at the menu and know what i'm gonna get beforehand but somehow when it comes to activities that i should probably research more i don't so i go through. there and i have no idea what i'm getting myself into and that's kind of fun you know and you learn and then you develop these new subset of understanding but when you bring it all together, you also learn to go with the flow and, and yeah. go into things that you don't anticipate and how you react to things as they come in the novelty of it. And I think it's part of the orientation. I, you know, development for me, it's always been important. Even my favorite movie growing up was like The Count of Monte Cristo when it came out. You know, it's obviously there's the book, but I never read that book. But uh, I'm not afraid of big books, but that book seems like, uh, you know, a long, very long read. So it's really all about the journey of learning and and working with other people that can help you learn in that journey. So yeah, it's, um, it's a cool journey. You can make it even cooler if you have great people around you. Fantastic, Alex. There's so much more. I'm sure we could <laughs> uh, have the conversation for, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I've learned lots from you, Alex. I'm really 
curious to see how you evolve, how your own vision of your ecosystem provides value in the world. And for our listeners, uh, do, if you aren't already, go and inquire, go and get in touch. I'm sure you're familiar, even if you weren't, with some of the people that are involved inside your ecosystem and world of coaching.com. So thank you and look forward to many conversations in the future, Alex. Thank you for having me, Russ. Really enjoyed the conversation. Pretty dynamic and very in tune with what's happening in the world and in my world. You know, I get to tell a little bit of my story. So thank you so much. And um, looking forward to our next conversation. Do you have the level of adaptability to survive and thrive the rapid changes ahead? Has your resilience got more comeback than a yo-yo? Do you have the ability to unlearn in order to reskill, upskill and break through? Find out today and uncover your adaptability profile and score, your AQ. Visit aqai.io to gain your personalized report across 15 scientifically validated dimensions of adaptability. For a limited time, enter code PODCAST65 for a complimentary AQME assessment. AQAI, transforming the way people, teams and organisations navigate change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Decoding AQ. Please make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast directory and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please do leave a review and be sure to tune in next time for more insights from our amazing guests.